We have great words today in Luke chapter number 1. Would you join me today in verse number 50? Luke chapter 1, verse 50. Our study for this month has been on this passage that's typically called Mary's Magnificat. It is her declaration of praise to a great God. And... um, these words are, are ones that are very meaningful. Of course they are. They're in God's Word. <laughs> the Holy Spirit led her to say these things. And yet uh, we are gleaning so much from them. We've been on this night and day, uh, each Sunday. And so for some of you who are here today for the first time, you're jumping right in the middle of a study with us. All of these so far have been put on our uh, website. You can go back and and, and uh, catch up if you'd like. Um, we will continue with it, though, the rest of the month in that uh, Christmas Eve, this next Thursday, we will be on the next verse. And next Sunday, we will continue on as we carry through this entire passage, 46 all the way through 55. I'm going to read it for you at this point. Uh, you can follow along. Luke 1, 46. Verse 50 is our main verse today, and I will finish in verse 55, and we'll have a word of prayer together. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and his descendants forever. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you have done. These words that we study here today speak of a great God. And we are so glad, not only that you have done this, but that we know you because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We come before you as your children, recipients of your great love, your grace and mercy. And so we come before you eager to receive from you. We sit at your feet like children and ask you to teach us. But we know, Lord, that you're in the process of changing us. And we long for that change, that which will make us more like Christ, that which will make us more appreciative. And as we learn today, do your great work in our hearts. Challenge us thoroughly, we pray, Lord, and we will be very quick to give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, Mary said. Great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those fear him. As I shared with uh, in the last message, there are four stanzas that we are looking at in this uh, declaration of Mary's. They're simple. 
and yet they're so profound. In verse 46 through 48, she speaks of praise to God for what he has done. And she makes it very personal. He did this for me. We see in verse 49 and 50 the attributes of God that she brings to the forefront to uh, speak of those great things. His power and His holiness and His mercy. And then following that in verse 51 through 53 she speaks of His sovereign actions. And then eventually 54 to 55 His mercy to Israel particularly. Now I doubt Folks, when you read these words, his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him, that there is much for us to misunderstand today. It's pretty clear, isn't it? When it says such words as this. Mercy is, is one of those great attributes from God that we treasure. When I, I think of uh, attributes, we could, you know, ask folks, Name the attributes of God, and the theologians always go with the omni list. Omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, words like that. Because they paid a lot to learn those words in college. But when we talk about those things that have come to mean much to us, our three big attributes are love, grace, and mercy. We like those three, don't we? They, they, they come and they are the ones that have, have changed us. We are recipients of those three because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Love and mercy and grace. Now, when we talk about God's love, we, we talk of it as an unconditional love. And truly it is. It is a remarkable love to study. We, we attach such words as agape to it and, and understand it as sacrificial and these things as well. But when you study it through... God's unconditional love toward us. He didn't call us to change so that He would love us. He loved us even while we were yet sinners. That's an incredible love. It wasn't based on us. Thank the Lord for that. But He chose us. He loved us. I love that concept of God's love. And when we talk about God's grace of of what we have received that we don't deserve, it's showered upon us, and, and we can study that for the rest of our lives and, and appreciate God's grace. We, but when we talk about mercy, this, this is a, a wonderful avenue to walk down, in which we will today. His, his mercy, not giving us what we do deserve. He has been so merciful. So merciful. When Mary is bringing up God's mercy here, she brings it up on a couple of occasions in this, as you heard as I read here. She talks about the great things he has done for me about his mercy in verse number 50. And then later in the, the declaration, she turns that toward Israel itself, and she talks about the mercy that he has toward them too. You know, I was thinking of these three, and, and uh, I talk with people, and I, I understand what things they wrestle with at times. Uh, some people wrestle with God's love. They, they sometimes don't quite understand it. Because we, we put it down in, in human comparisons, don't we? And so many times, if, if we've grown up in an environment where there's been a lack of love or such like that, we wrestle with such things as love. Some people even misunderstand God's 
grace. Because His grace is one of full generosity. And for those who live stingy lives, they can't quite put those two together. They don't understand grace. But mercy is something I think we all understand pretty good when we think it through. Regardless of our past, and some of us really have past, God has been so merciful to us. So merciful to us. His mercy deals with sin. His mercy deals with affliction. His mercy deals with misery. Because in the word mercy, we have the words pity. We have the words compassion. And I would say this, and, and I say it sincerely, and I will spell it out as I go. If you do not know mercy, then you do not know God. Mercy is an attribute of our God. And I'm not trying to be fancy or flowery with you here this morning. Uh, the need is much too great to treat this as a display of my cleverness. Uh, we are on a topic of utmost importance. And it has to do with you, and it has to do with me, and our relationship with God and His mercy. Because God's mercy does determine your eternity. We want to talk about it today. It's Mary's declaration. And as I showed you in verse number 49, when she says, He has done great things for me, she made it very personal. And I like that avenue because we're going down it. It is a very personal declaration. He has done great things for me. Can you say that too? He has done great things for me. Now, the significance of this statement in verse 49 is, is uh, reflected in last Sunday night's message. But let it suffice to say, at least, at least to this point, that the focus is not on Mary's circumstances here. What has he done to her? If you just look at the circumstances, she's pregnant. Without married, in a world that will censor her for it. But she doesn't focus on her circumstances. <laughs> she talks about the Lord, who has done incredible things. And you know he can. Where verse 37 said, nothing is impossible with him. He is powerful. And that's what she said. The Mighty One has done great things for me. And he is holy, which means whatever he does is right. Now, if you need a very practical theology, set it right there. Because God is holy, whatever He has done, it's right. It is right. Because that's the only way He operates. Because He's holy. So we, we've talked about these things, and we found the, the value in these things. But Mary, I, I like the fact she doesn't hoard mercy to herself. <laughs> she says, He's done great things for me. But this mercy that she talks about has been extended to Israel too. Verse 54 and 55 We'll get to that, but they needed it, and God gave that. But the glorious thing, I think, for us personally is that it's not contained to those folks then. It's not there. As we see in verse number 50, it's also for generation after generation to those who fear him. We, too, are recipients of his mercy. We, too, are. 
So, let's mark this mercy this morning and understand it in, I'm going to call it four perspectives. Right? Four perspectives on this mercy that she speaks of in verse number 50. That his mercy is upon generation after generation for those who fear him. First, let's start with the perspective, how it is combined with power and holiness. This is a, a good place for us to start. The combination is verse 49 and 50 together. They're not meant to be separate thoughts. They are actually one thought together as, as they're constructed here. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy it is, is His name, and His mercy. I inserted the word and, didn't I? And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. Now, grammatically, we're combining three things in one statement. Power. The Mighty One. That's dunamis. That's a great, powerful word. I love it. It speaks of ability, what God can do. We speak of his power. And his holiness. The things that he does that is right. And the things, really, as you see in verse 49, he does and he signs his name to it. Holy is his name. That speaks of his character. And then we see in many translations, verse number 50 starts with maybe the word for. For his mercy and go on and goes that way. Technically, it is a, in the Greek, we call it chi. It's just the word and. And it's right there again. And his mercy. So I have to combine the three when I talk about them. His power, his holiness, and his mercy. All three linked together in a single thought. Because, honestly, if we take one of those out or we somehow miscue it in some way where an element is lacking, I think we would have a monstrous looking thing. We would have a lopsided deity. Think of this for a minute, because our world gives us many examples. I don't have to give you the examples from history. But what does power look like without right? What is power without holiness? We have words for things like that. Sometimes it might just simply be tyranny. Our world has experienced power without any right beside it, without any sense of holiness, any sense of righteousness. When you take the perimeters of what is right away and you allow power to just be the rule, our world has seen that many times, hasn't it? We don't like it when it's terribly frightening, power uncontrolled. You take power without mercy. We've seen that over the years, too. I'm afraid we see it still. Headlines often portray the concept of power without mercy. It's a very ugly dimension of things because it speaks of that which is ruthless and callous and cold-blooded. Power without mercy. What about holiness without mercy? How would you like to live under holiness without mercy? Holiness where it's rigid. Holiness where it's unyielding. Holiness that is severe. You see, those who view God as one of these without the others, they, they uh, present an awful description of our God. It's not in keeping with God's Word. 
And I, I show you all that and I say all that because He is powerful. He is the Almighty. We use those words omnipotent because that's true. He is powerful all the time. 100% next to it. He never diminishes in power. Never. He never wavers in power. He doesn't have fuses that pop. Doesn't have a low place in his projection of power. He is powerful all the time. Mark it. A hundred percent. Alright, you got that? All powerful, all the time, never diminishing. He is holy a hundred percent of the time. There is no wavering and there is no compromising. God does not compromise His holiness. He is holy all the time. That never wavers. That never diminishes. And yet, it's always in perfect harmony with His power. Always. And that's an incredible thing. But it's maintained all the time with our God. Now, I add the third one today because this is the one where we, we start to come with our own conceptions of what it means. God is merciful all the time. He is always merciful. At full measure, He is merciful all the time. Because that's His character. And He doesn't diminish in character. He does not change. He does not waver. He does not lessen. He is merciful all the time at the same degree. You say, huh, how's that work? Well, you can insert the word pity there. You can insert the word compassion there. But all of it is active. These are acts of kindness. These are acts of compassion. Goodwill sometimes is the word we would use here. He aims toward the miserable. Yes, he aims toward the afflicted. But his, his desire is to help them. Is to provide for them. But here's what I, I'm trying to stress for you this morning. God's mercy does not fluctuate. It does not. It doesn't operate like an on-off switch on the wall. That sometimes it's on, sometimes it's off. You see, it's His character we're looking at here. He is always merciful. Problem is, we're not always looking for mercy, are we? He is 100% compassionate. He's always willing and always ready to act in pity. But we've got a stubborn mankind down here. A stubborn mankind that doesn't want mercy tied with power. They don't want mercy tied with holiness and what is right. They just want mercy. They want a portion of our God, not all of Him. You see, they want mercy without constraints. They want mercy without truth. They want mercy without accountability. They just want mercy. You see, folks, when God acts on your behalf, you never get a portion of God. You never get a fraction of God. You get God. In His fullness, in all His attributes, operating simultaneously, 
reaching down to meet your need. It is an awesome thing to consider. We have to wear caution signs. When it says God's at work in you, that's not a fragment of God. That is God at work in you in all that he is. You see, mercy reflects his desire to do something. Holiness reflects the need to do something. Power says he can do something. (laughs) How many times have you seen somebody in need and you said, boy, I'd love to help that person, but I can't. There's a neat little picture. Savannah, you commented on it. Four orphans. Four orphans on the Facebook. Darling looking children. You look at them and say, oh, take them, I'll take them. What can we do with four more in a house like mine? Or yours? You say, oh, I'd love to help, right? You see things like this, it tugs your heart right out of you. How many of us are limited in what we can do at times? Meet that need, meet that need, meet that need. You know what? God sees the need. He knows the need, and He could do it. That's the combination of the three. Don't take just one. When you talk about the goodness and greatness of our God, and what He does for us. You see, we don't want a God who does anything less, do we? We don't have a God who does anything less. He always meets our need by His greatness in power, His greatness in holiness, and His greatness in mercy. All three. You see, that's what the text is showing us here in the combination. His mercy, I like His mercy. I like the word His mercy. That word His is important. I like that. Because His mercy is based on a true God. And if you want fairness, that's the only place you're going to find it. If you want mercy that is always there to meet the need, that's where you're going to find it. If you want mercy that's always right, that's where you're going to find it. He is always there to help. And that's this perspective that we start with here combination of power and holiness and mercy. Don't separate them. Alright? That's perspective one. Perspective number two. Let's go specifically to the ministry of mercy here this morning. What is the specific ministry of mercy that she's talking about here? For his mercy is upon. I'm going to stop with that word upon right there. It's it's our English rendering. Sometimes you have the word to. His mercy is to. Or his mercy is toward. Or his mercy is unto. His mercy is upon. All those are neat expressions. That mercy doesn't just hang out in space. It's an action and it's addressed to the need. Have you ever put a, a letter in the mailbox and you forgot to put the address on it? That probably drives those postal people crazy. They pull it up and it says like, you know, to uh, Joe and and so on. And and they're looking at, we don't even know where to take this one. There's no address on it. We've probably done that before, haven't we? Christmas cards are a perfect time to do that. 
I almost did that this year. If you get one that doesn't have an address on it, that was probably mine. Um, but this is the great thing about mercy, is that it doesn't just hang there without any direction. It is addressed. It is given. It is, it is placed. And that's the concept that we're trying to express. His mercy is upon, is upon. We could go through scripture after scripture, but you'll find this very interesting, I think. We've got loads of scripture on grace and loads of scripture on love. But when you go and track the word mercy, you only find it 28 times in the New Testament. Say, huh, wonder why it's so, well, I don't know why. But 28 times it's, it's recorded in the New Testament. And Mary brings it up twice right here. Matter of fact, chapter 1 of Luke is where it's found more than any other place in scripture. It talks back in chapter 1, well, further beyond, actually, verse number 58. It's talking about Elizabeth and the child she's buried, John the Baptist. And it says in verse 58, the Lord has displayed his great mercy toward her. And then in verse 72, which is much later in this chapter, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is speaking. And he says that, that the son is here, and then he's a forerunner, or the prophet leading to Christ, to show mercy toward our fathers. And then in verse 77 and 78, uh, speaking specifically of Jesus, he's here to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God. And there's references in the New Testament, the Gospels particularly, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. And you know, that concept of mercy is the one he brings up a lot with them. You'll see it quoted on several occasions. He tells them, why don't you go home and learn something about mercy? Oh, they were good with rules. But he would tell them things like this. Compassion and not sacrifice. He's talking about mercy. Uh, we're not going to go there this morning, but I'm just showing you that it's brought up by our Savior. And we find in the fact that God, who is powerful and God is holy, has aimed mercy in our direction. Romans 9, verse 23 says that we are vessels of mercy. I don't mind that title, do you? Even if it is only a clay pot. <laughs> I'll be a clay pot full of mercy any day. But we're vessels of God's mercy. Some of my favorite sections in Scripture are found in the book of Ephesians. Where it starts that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the airs, according to the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. We lived that way, it said. We lived among them in our lust of our flesh, uh, doing the desires of our flesh, we were in of our mind, we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And then the next verse says, But God, who is rich in mercy. Oh, what a change he's made. God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even while we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. That's merciful. We certainly did not in, in, uh, in any way deserve such a thing like that. Titus, 
when Paul writes to him in chapter 3. He says these in verse 3, 4, and 5. We also were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were serving our lust and our pleasures. We were living in malice. We were living in envy. We were hateful and we were hating one another. But, (laughs) you like that? I like that change. But, when the kindness of God our Savior and His love toward man appeared, not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to His mercy, He saved us. He saved us. When Peter would grab that concept later and write, he would say this in his first epistle. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has begot us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let, let, me, let me say how much I like that word, great, in front of mercy. It's his great mercy toward us. If you are looking for mercy, you will only find one true mercy. And that's at the throne of God. Hebrews 4.16 The writer there says something so profound and yet so important to us. He says, Let us therefore draw near with boldness unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace To help in the time of need. Now either you like your needs that much. That you're just going to wallow in them. Or you're going to turn to the only place that is offered to help you. God's mercy. God's throne of grace. It's there to help in the time of need. This is a specific ministry of mercy. It's extended to us. God is not simply aiming to give you a good day, folks. Although he gives us good days, doesn't he? He's not even so much interested in just laying out a good life for you and making it that way. Because he he unites his mercy with his forgiveness. He unites his mercy with his salvation. He unites his mercy with his his grace. He, he, He unites it with a living hope. All this he has given to us in his mercy. All this is our need. We're not talking about a general mercy. We're talking about a great mercy. And it comes from God. There's nothing less. But God's kind of mercy. That's perspective two. Simple next two ones. They're not quite as involved. or They're going to be thought-provoking. So listen carefully. Let's talk about the duration. Because that perspective is given here too. It says that His mercy goes into generation after generation, doesn't it? That phrase is there in front of us here. God doesn't forget His love. God doesn't break His promise. God doesn't slack on His faithfulness. When God acts on our behalf in mercy, does He ever just stop? Oh, that's enough mercy for that one. Each generation, I know this, you know this too, each generation seems to find a new way to express sin. Have you ever noticed? 
each one, each generation has their, their own special way of testing the patience of our God. It is because of his mercy that this world is not consumed at this moment under his wrath. The wicked world teeters, if you will, on the verge of eternal condemnation. Years ago, and you've heard it before, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon that went this way, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Frightful thing. You should read it. It's a good read, but it's frightful. Now, years before him, a English writer by the name of Dunn, John Dunn, wrote a little clip that he called it, On Falling Out of the Hands of an Angry God. And if you think Edwards is strong, you should read that one. That came before and then if you want to back up a little bit, even before that, there is something so sweet to a simple phrase that David wrote, or said, back in Chronicles. First Chronicles. It was in chapter number 21, about falling into the hands of a merciful God. The perspective is real simple. David had sinned greatly, and you're saying, oh, that's a Bathsheba story. No, it wasn't. He took up a census. A census that showed a, a lack of trust in God. He wanted to know the size of his army. And God was going to punish him severely for it. And God came to him through the prophet named Gad. And Gad came to David and said, Okay, God's going to punish you for that. And you've got three curtains there. One, two, and three. Pick which one you want. I'll tell you what's behind each one. He says, Curtain number one is like this. You will have a famine for three years. In your land. Can you imagine? A famine for three years. David not only would have problems with finding something to eat, but he's got millions of people who are going to be quite upset with him. Three years. So that's curtain number one. Curtain number two is that for uh, three, let me get the right words here, for three months, your enemies will chase you out of your land. For three months. They will overtake you. Or you can have curtain number three. For three days, the sword of the Lord and all his plagues will be showered upon you. David says, oh, I'm in distress. <laughs> That's an understatement, isn't it? Pick which one you want. You've got three choices. David said this, Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great. What a perspective. He chose curtain number three. Because he says, God controls that with his mercy. He was confident in the character of our God. The enduring character of our God. He had tested it before, and the generations before him tested it too. He counted on the fact that God was always merciful. Generation after generation after generation, and we can count on it just as much today. He is always this way in his mercy. He doesn't change his character like we change clothing or change cars. God is always merciful from everlasting to everlasting. It carries from generation to to generation to generation. Now, in that, I, I would 
say this and try to clarify this for you. Because sometimes we think, well, if we're good enough and God's merciful for us, it would just kind of spill out and our children will receive it and our grandchildren will receive it and so on. You know, that's not what she's saying here. She's not saying that, that these others will, regardless of their, their behavior, their actions, whatever, that they're just going to have mercy because of us. But this is what he's saying. Every generation can count on it. God is merciful. Every generation can count on that. He is merciful. He's always merciful. Our children can count on the fact He will be merciful. Our grandchildren can count on the fact that His mercy is available to them too. God is always merciful. He cannot be less. That's enduring. And one quick thing. This perspective of His mercy, it's got a target. The target is seen in this phrase, toward those who fear Him. Mercy does not operate without discretion. Too many times in our our social ways about our land, we fling help without giving hope. We leave people in their mess and think somehow we satisfy that. Careless distribution of help. We could go into all kinds of stories, but mercy is based on God's name, not on ours. It's based on God's character. It's based on God's reputation. He signs his name to it. He does what is right, and he aims it toward those who fear him. That's his way. He aims it toward those who fear him. There are many who do not fear him. In one sense, you could say he's merciful and let, he lets them stay. He's merciful and let, that he lets them live on this earth. That they get rain too. Yes, he's merciful. He gives them every single day an opportunity to know who he is and to respond to him. That's patience. And that's merciful. He is like that all the time. But the fact is, they don't have a relationship with him. You will never have this mercy without God. There is no heaven without God. There is no salvation without God. And there is no mercy without God. For those who want mercy, they must fear Him. That's what it says. What's that? Understand who He is. Understand who you are in light of that. Respect Him. Honor Him. Do His what He calls us to do. When we talk about mercy, there's no other avenue than God's way. That's His mercy. And He says it's toward those who fear Him. Where are we in that statement? Where are we in that statement? Are we just looking for a little portion of it? Or we just want a, a speck of mercy? Just enough to make my day more comfortable? Or do we want the mercy that lasts forever and ever and ever from God Himself that really meets our need for eternity? Those who fear God. Is that you? Is that me? Those who fear God. That's the beginning of wisdom. See, the study we have here today is part of a grand purpose. And Mary started it with the fact that my soul magnifies the Lord. We are the recipients of this mercy. We ought to get to some magnifying then, huh? We read of angels rejoicing. And do you know what? 
They don't get mercy. They don't even understand salvation. But they can rejoice. We have shepherds seeing a baby and they rejoice. We have wise men seeing a star and they rejoice. And we've received mercy. Scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How long have we been quiet about this? We have received mercy. We have received this. And as great as His mercy is, I I know we can't compete with the greatness of that, but I think we can at least try a little bit more in expressing the greatness of our God when we talk about His mercy. Are you a recipient of this mercy this morning? Is this mercy that we've talked about today the kind that you have just sat and said, yes, Lord, thank you for giving that to me. But have you resolved your heart to stay firm where you are? Do it your way. I'm just going to uh, plow through this holiday. I'll make it through just like, you know, everybody else on this earth. And, and uh, I'll say the words. I'll sing the songs. I might even... Decorate a little bit, but uh, don't talk to me about mercy. Don't talk to me about salvation. Those things would change my life. And yes, they will. And that's what we want. We want you to know Jesus Christ. We want you to be the recipient of this mercy. This morning would be a great day for that, wouldn't it? If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, turn to Him right now. That's the message we proclaim. It's the greatness of our God. In His power, He will save you. In His holiness, He will save you. In His mercy, He will save you because He sent His Son to save you. Will you believe that today? Will you receive that today? Heavenly Father, we come before you today so, so thankful for what you have done. That you would allow that great mercy to fall upon us. In our day, in our generation, you did not overlook us. You did not show a a lack of concern for us. But rather, because of your great love for us, you gave us mercy through Jesus Christ. And we are thankful people today. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for changing our lives forever. And Lord, since you're so great, we lift up those among us that might not even know you. You know the very ones, and you know their very needs. And you are not only ready and able to meet that need, but you love them and gave your son for them. And I pray that they respond by faith today. Only you can bring that about too. It's a, it's a miracle from your hand. And we would rejoice if you would do it in our presence. But thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us today. We rejoice in all this. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.